going to endeavor to look into First Peter or Second Peter. I got First Peter on the brain here. Second Peter. And uh, Martin had asked me to teach on the history of the Bible, and when I when he asked that, I kind of cringed. And I thought, oh. I know so little about that subject. I, oh, but I held back from telling him that I wasn't going to do it, and he should do it because he's far more capable than I am. And I started to dig in yesterday and study. Got out a stack of books, uh, the Subtuagent and Greek New Testament, and started to read the uh, about the history of the Bible, and I was kind of excited about it. And I'm not, uh, yeah, I like to stick with what I'm familiar with, but that isn't always good for us. So pray for me on that, that Especially if you look on the internet, there you spend a lot of time sifting through the garbage before you get to anything good. <laughs> There's just so much, um, yeah, so much bad stuff, misleading stuff, and yeah, pray that uh, pray for me on that subject and every subject as we endeavor to. Both to understand and to uh, live the gospel of Christ. Thanks for yeah, the brethren who shared. We need to always be spurring one another on to love and good works. A good work is preaching the, the gospel of Christ. And we always need to be. It's so easy to fall down in that. And uh, I feel that I have so. Pray for me in that. Don't want to be under condemnation, but I want to be stirred up. And I'm sure you want to be the same. Well, let's pray before we start. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for, for your word, for your spirit, without which, Lord, we'd be, we'd be lost, we would... Be dead in our trespasses and in our sins without you, Lord. We we thank you for redeeming us. We thank you for your word to guide us and direct us. And we pray you'd do that this morning. And we'd receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to just read the... The first four verses of Second Peter, just to get our context. I'm sure we won't get past that. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them who have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness 
through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we went through last time a sort of a general overview of the book and similar themes that Peter addresses in uh, this book that he does in the last one. The word of God is prevalent, namely um, yeah, the voice of God through the prophets down through the ages. He he speaks of that in 1 Peter chapter 1, and he speaks of the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, namely his eyewitness account of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and how he uh, saw him. And then he says an amazing statement, but we have a more sure word of prophecy, and that being the written uh, word of God which has come down to us, down through the ages. And that's basically how chapter 1 of 2 Peter ends. But he um, begins by addressing uh, what has been given to us in specifically those uh, promises that have come through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. And that's basically... Uh, chapter 1, and the application of ourselves to uh, work out these things. I have, as Dave uh, mentioned this morning, uh, in my youth as a Christian was far more critical of others and uh, in a spiritual way, if you know what I mean which was terrible, but that's just the way it was. And uh, Through the bumps and the grinds and the failures and the humblings of life, yeah, far more compassionate of others, their struggles, because I've had my share of them, as I'm sure you have as well. <clears throat> and to uh, sincerely um, pray for others, And I think of myself in coming into all that God has given to me in Christ Jesus. So with those preamble comments, we'll um, get into the book. Simon Peter. I remember last time we went through a whole list of things about Peter. He is the most prevalent in the Gospels. If you read through, you'll notice that It is Peter who says most of the things and asks many of the questions. Perhaps it is on the heart of the other disciples, but he asks them. uh, He's the one that says, Lord, bid me to come to you on the water. He's the one who is asked, uh, does your master pay taxes? And he said, yes. And then uh, he's always the one. Um, He's the one who said, thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. And we know it, it was Peter who said boldly, um, though all would deny you, 
yet will not I. <clears throat> so Peter was um, prevalent in the uh, first century church, committed to um, preach the gospel to the Jews and uh, Paul to the Gentiles. And it uh, certainly the other uh, apostles would have gone and uh, preached and been fruitful in other parts of the world, as I think uh, church history would bear out. But uh, Simon Peter is the, uh, the author of this epistle, <clears throat> and he calls himself a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I know that the, uh, the Catholic Church has um, claimed falsely that they are uh, an ex- succession of, uh, through all the popes and everything come down, that, they, that the pope is the vicar of Christ on earth, which is a lie. He is not. And there was no such succession of apostles as... Uh, that uh, church would claim. But he was a foundation for the church. That says the, uh, the apostles were the foundation of the church of Christ. Their teachings, their lives, their fruitfulness, uh, which the church was born. And if you look in, I think it's chapter 20 of Revelation, it talks about the holy city. And the foundation stones are the apostles. And those are all just pictures of the church and how they, um, their their teachings, their doctrines, their writings were the foundation of what we now enjoy, the, uh, the church of Christ, of which we are a very small part. <clears throat> so Peter, he was... Uh, Spider crawling across my notes there. The Lord surnamed him uh, Simon Peter. And uh, when I think of surname, I think of uh, someone's last name. But it was a little different for them. It was a kind of like a nickname. And um, he was a stone, a small stone. And he, he nicknamed, it was uh, James and John, the... Boanerges, sons of thunder. He was the, they were always thundering at people. Something that every young preacher wants to do, just um, yeah, throw lightning bolts at people, harpooning them with truths about God and their soul's damnation if they don't repent. And, um, so the Lord nicknamed them uh, sons of thunder. It says he surnamed them sons of thunder. So Peter's surname was uh, Simon, and he surnamed him Peter. And he, uh, <clears throat> he didn't uh, put himself, as the other apostles uh, did not, despite all of their importance in the history of the church and their revelations that they had, and they knew who they were. 
but they never elevated themselves above other Christians. And it's, it's amazing to... Paul said that he had surpassing revelations about, um, about Christ, about God, about the truths of God, about the revelations of the new covenant, and all of those things... He, yet with all of those, he did not elevate himself above other uh, Christians. Which, yeah, that has happened throughout the, uh, the ages of the church. Ministers and men of importance would have viewed themselves as above everybody else. And that's where the terms like the uh, clergy and the laity came from. The lay people would just be the people down in the pews, and the the uh, important people would be the people that would stand in the pulpit and would be given names, um, uh, religious titles, and all of those things, all to be uh, rejected, and they were by those who were the apostles of our Lord, and yet they they wielded authority but in a uh, gracious uh, way. So he's writing to them who have obtained uh, like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and of our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. So that's the recipients. The recipients of the first epistle were those that were scattered abroad. As we remember, those that were in a specific uh, location, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he's writing to a more general um, crowd, those that had obtained like precious faith. Basically everyone uh, who was a Christian. And it's the same faith that they had. Again, in, uh, in Christianity, there isn't those that can enjoy this elite life and others that just can never attain to that. Paul, um, although he would have um, had revelations, perhaps that none of us ever will, and um, more than anybody else had, everyone can attain to the same Precious faith. And that's because uh, it's all through the, the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn to uh, Psalm chapter 4. This has been the way it has been throughout uh, the history of redemption. Psalm 4. It's, uh, there isn't really anything new. Psalm 4 and verse 1. Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. So, thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress, and have mercy upon me, and hear my prayer. The uh, psalmist there, uh, recognizing that it was God who was his righteousness. Turn over to Psalm 24. 
in verse 5. Speaking of those that would ascend into the hill of the Lord, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So again, the, those that knew God under the Old Covenant knew that God was their righteousness, that they had none of their own. They had the outworking of that righteousness that was given to them, but of themselves they had none, and they realized that. And that was a revelation of those that had trusted in Christ Jesus In Romans chapter 3, coming over into the new covenant, was an old covenant truth, and, and it became clear how that was to be. They would have known that God was their righteousness, but they didn't really know how. Remember, even the apostles were... It was hid from them that Christ would go to the cross, the Messiah would die uh, on a cross. And Peter went beyond that and said, certainly, Lord, this shall not happen to you. So how it would all happen was revealed under the old covenant, but they really, they didn't grasp it in reality. They, when Christ was coming, they were expecting him to... Yeah, bless the nation and um, ultimately to um, destroy the Roman oppression, the Gentile oppression, and to bring in the kingdom. That's what they were really looking for. Because even after he rose from the dead, they, they said that, Lord, at this time will you restore the kingdom to Israel. And they had many gaps in their understanding, and this was... Uh, one of them. But under the new covenant, uh, that revelation given to the apostles was in Ro- revealed in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. Paul says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. <clears throat> So a man's righteousness is not uh, is apart from keeping the Old Testament law, not just the moral law, but the ceremonial law, circumcision, and uh, all of those things, the dietary laws, and all the various laws that governed the laws of worship, going up to Jerusalem to a specific place. All of that was. Um, was part of the what a Old Testament saint would have followed. But now the righteousness of God is manifest without that, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So the same law that, is, that revealed those things has um, been set aside uh, because it's fulfilled, not because it's become... Some people would think, well, the, the law is, yeah, we're just downplaying the law, and, and uh, no, that's not it. It's 
the law has fulfilled its purpose in Revelation, and now the revelation of God is moving on to what has been witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. And he has established that the the difference is there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And the Jews would have held that there is. And he uh, firmly established that in the preaching of the gospel. And that's why he riled up so many Jews and uh, to the point where they wanted to kill him. But that is the foundation of our faith is the righteousness of God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 10.3. I know these things are um, familiar, but I find I don't know things as well as I ought. When somebody asks me a question or I'm in a place where I'm speaking to somebody and all of a sudden, I don't know if you're like me, mind just goes blank. Can't think of anything. And because it's not as familiar as it ought to be. Scripture passages and um, all of those things. I can remember speaking to people and they'll say, oh, I've read the Bible. As if that, you know, just reading it, how much of it do you actually remember? And when... Uh, yeah, when you're in a place where you have to remember and you can't is when you realize, I don't know it as well as I ought to. And it just bears repeating and rereading. And uh, such we ought to give ourselves to. Romans uh, chapter 10 and verse 3. <clears throat> For they, that's the Jews, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. What what good news. Uh, Verse 3 is describing all other religion. That is basically what religion is. There's two religions in the world. Oh, but there's so many. I mean, there's, there's Confucius, there's Islam, there's uh, Astrozorianism, there's worship. There's all kinds of things, but basically it comes down to these two things. You're either going about to establish your own righteousness. I'm a pretty good person, doing my best and hoping I'm going to make it. However that is, whether you're in a Buddhism or whether you're in uh, the Catholic Church, or whatever it is. Any brand of Christianity, many of them all preach, in one form or another, a works salvation. And then they never attain to the works of salvation because they are seeking to establish their own righteousness. And that's basically, they're, they're piling up, in their mind, uh, good works that they can offer to God as why he should let them into heaven. And on the other hand, we ought not to play downplay the result of salvation is good works. 
of which the Lord could look at those good works and say, this person is a Christian. I think, uh, yeah, at least I grew up in, uh, when I say grew up, from my um, being born again at 22 years old, churches that downplayed that whole thing to the point where I believe it was an error. Um, They'd say, I'm glad I'm not going to be judged by your works, by my works. I'm thinking, no, the Bible says you are going to be judged by your works. And, but how is that? But you, they, the works arise because of the righteousness of God that enters into your soul through faith. And then the works that arise from that, out of the soil of that, is the works by which you will be judged by. And it is not your own works in a seeking to establish your own, because God knows all that. If, if that's the basis of your works, you'll be damned. But the basis of your works, uh, coming out of faith in Christ and the righteousness of God, is the works by which God will judge. And we could see that. We're not going to get off on that tangent. But you could search it out for yourself. You'll find that that's true. Um, Judged. um, It says in Revelation that they'll be judged out of the... um, the books and their works will be judged, whether they have faith in Christ or not. Here's a work that would be judged. <clears throat> the Lord said, um, I think it was the quasi-parable of uh, the sheep and the goats, <clears throat> that, you, um, that you loved and served me. Because when the chips are down, The world will not be helping Christians. It's only going to be Christians helping Christians. And the Lord said that you gave me a cup of water. Uh, You gave another Christian a cup of water in my name. And that's how he knew. that. That's a work that arises out of the knowing Christ. And that by, by seeing that in someone's life then Christ can judge whether they are a believer or not. So that is a well-established theme in the scripture. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. It's always a delicate balance, brethren, to... uh, Most false doctrines are some truth in the Bible pushed beyond what the Scripture would teach. And the... Yeah, it's a challenge always to be in balance. I think it was Jonathan Edwards that said that one of the fruits or marks of true Christian faith is a true balance and symmetry not to be too far one way or the other. And that could be demonstrated in many Christian doctrines. Uh, Philippians 3 and verse 9. Get some context in verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. That was all his religious pedigree, his... um, 
his zeal, his um, anything that he had counted gain to him, religiously speaking. And I believe all of his uh, ambitions in the Jewish religion. And it would include also all of his ambitions in this life. Even marriage and those things which would be uh, very normal. He says, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So Paul chucked all religious um, gain and he cashed it all in for the righteousness of God in Christ. And that's what uh, we ought to do. Not only... um, Yeah, and that never ends. You're just continually doing that. You're not uh, thinking, well, I've arrived and I have no more uh, to give up. So turn back to uh, 1 Peter, a well-established doctrine in the scripture that we are saved by the righteousness of God, our Savior. In verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace, a common Christian greeting. You see it in many of the epistles. Paul uh, would have used it as a normal greeting. But it's only Peter that, and I think in both times he uses the phrase, he says, be multiplied. So grace is, uh, he pictured it being multiplied in your life. Not just, okay, here you go. But it was going to be multiplied, the grace of God in your life and in mind. And the peace of God, the peace that passes understanding when you're in uh, difficulty. And I, my wife and I have been reading through the voice of the martyrs different uh, books, different testimonies. The, the last book was all about uh, women that were uh, evangelists and how they suffered for Christ. And yeah, I would recommend it to you. It's, uh, and having said all that, how little I have suffered for Christ. I have, yeah, very little. Uh, I don't think I've ever, uh, maybe once, I was physically assaulted. Um, for Christ Jesus, I was in some way shamed. Uh, for that physically, but um, it's very, if I compare that to others who uh, have suffered terrible things, I have suffered uh, very little. But in that situation uh, that many of those people found themselves in, this statement would be 
you would find it to be more true, if you know what I mean by that. It would be highlighted in your life, uh, the grace of God, because you would know that it's not uh, your own power. I remember in, uh, it would probably been 1990 maybe, around that time, uh, a man from Nepal came and preached at a congregation that I was in in Mississauga. And I was so blessed as he gave his testimony how he was, he got saved on the streets of India hearing uh, a man, I think it was an American, preaching the gospel on the streets in India. And he was saved and he said, what should I do? He said, read the whole Bible and then go preach it. So that's what he did. He got the Bible and he read it and then he went out preaching. And God was working through this man. I wish I could remember his name. Maybe it'll come to me. And he, in Nepal at the time, there was a non-conversion law. I, and I think, I'm not sure whether it's still that way today, but it was then. This would have been in the 60s, maybe in the 50s. Um, and he preached, and people were saved, and then if you were baptized, you'd spend a year in jail, and if you baptized someone, you'd spend six years in jail. And he spent, uh, he was arrested with other Christians that he had baptized, and he was thrown in prison. And he was such a trouble in prison, because he would speak to the other prisoners, and many of the other prisoners were being saved as well, and they got very frustrated with this man, and they threw him in a place. Uh, unthinkable, but they, they used to throw the dead people from the prison, prisoners, they'd throw them in this kind of, uh, if you like a bunker, but it had a door on the front of it with bars. So picture a kind of bunker, carved into the side of a dirt hill or something like that, and they'd throw the dead bodies in there. And you can imagine what that would be like. Just, you'd think, you, if you were the person doing that, you'd throw the body in and then you'd close the door and then just like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to go in there. Can you imagine how horrific it would be in there? Anyway, they threw this man in there alive. And... Uh, he said he grabbed a femur. Everyone know what a femur is? <clears throat> it's the, the large bone between your knee and your hip. And he grabbed that femur and he scraped the floor of all the stuff that was on the floor. He scraped a spot for him to sit down. And he had a blanket and he took that blanket and he just put it on the floor and he sat down. And just think of that and he said he sat down and the first thing that came to his mind was the Lord's in his interaction with Paul on the Damascus road saying Saul, Saul why do you persecute me and he recalled that and that the Lord would not forsake him in that place. And indeed he would feel the grace of God and the peace of God be multiplied 
whatever the trial, God is able to multiply grace. Because you think, how could I ever face something like that? I just, and reading many of these stories, the the tremendous suffering that that uh, Christian people went through, and how they could still love their enemies, and how powerful their testimony was. And I'm thinking, I'm afraid to even witness to the guy you know behind the desk because he's going to laugh at me. But as you, as trials come, the grace and the peace is multiplied. And God doesn't have a limit. And think, well, okay, you're going to get X number of units of grace and X number of uh, units of peace. It, it doesn't work that way. As that man discovered in that horrible place, rotting flesh, dead bodies all around at different points of decay and the stench and he still preached Christ from that place. He said he'd, he'd come up to the bars and he would. there was a guard outside the door and he would start to speak to that man. And then he noticed that the man was becoming, he, he would not have known if the man was agreeing with him or not or whatever, but he would speak to him through the bars because he would be right there and he would, the, the guard would see his face. I mean, many people would be disturbed beyond belief terrified and horrified but this man wasn't the peace of God was on his face and the power of God was coming out of his mouth and he preached the love of God from behind those bars in the midst of that horrible place and he said the guard would ask him for his blanket during the day and he would dry it out in the sun And then he'd let him crack the door open just to give him a tiny bit of fresh air. You can imagine how um, much that would be needed in that place. And then the guard that was guarding him was saved. And eventually got so frustrated with this man that they threw him out of jail. (laughs) And I don't know what he did after that, but he uh, continued... As, as you would well know, to preach Christ. But how grace and peace <clears throat> is multiplied. It's not, there's no limits. And, uh, that is the wonder of the gospel. And I don't know if you're like me, you think, oh, I've so far to go. And, but God will allow us to experience that multiplied grace and peace as we face uh, trials in our lives. Turn to Galatians chapter 1. That man's name was uh, Prem... No doubt he's gone to be with the Lord now. He was an older gentleman uh, then. Prem Perdon, uh, Nepali Christian. To Galatians chapter 1. 
again, this similar greeting, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul repeats it over and over again. Um, You can read it in many of his epistles. But remember, it, it can be and is multiplied unto you. Depending on the circumstance, God is able to make it abound unto you. His grace has no limits. And then the next phrase there, it says, through the knowledge of God. Um, The conduit, or if I can use the term, the wire which flows the grace of God and the peace of God is through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. We take these things for granted, perhaps, because we're so familiar with them. But in places where there isn't that familiarity, and you go to another culture, another place, where the knowledge of God is not, then you could imagine. Um, And it's hard for us to, to imagine those things. But now, today, our society is growing up Young people that are ignorant of God, they have no, I could ask most persons uh, that would be in their 40s or 50s, 60s, they would have some, um, because they all went to church as a a child and as a youth, and they would have some religious background, but um, many today would be ignorant of the knowledge of God and the truth about Jesus Christ. Turn to Acts chapter 10. And when Peter talks about that, he's really referring to the gospel um, specifically and then to all the truths about God of which there is uh, no end revealed. But in Acts chapter 10, it gives us a very... If you're ever in a situation where you're witnessing to somebody... And you think, oh, where could I go? And This is probably the best place, at least, that I know of in the New Testament. It's very succinct, very short and to the point. And we'll just, uh, just note the knowledge that's revealed here about uh, the person of God. We'll start reading... Um, In verse 37, that word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Now he's speaking to Gentile people early on in the history of the church, but he assumes that they have heard of this. This is not something that uh, it arose Certainly at the coming of John the Baptist, there was an anticipation of Messiah coming. They knew that from the time that uh, the word was given to rebuild the temple till the coming of Christ would be 400 and... Does anyone know the exact time? Is it 430 years? I'm not sure. Something like that. They knew that this was the time of Messiah, so they were anticipating it. And it came and... And they would have heard about it. These people were Gentile people, but they were worshippers of God. And they had heard about that. 
And that's why he mentions it in a way that uh, he says, that word I say, ye know. So they knew about it, the, the, the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now this I find amazing that they knew all of this, but it hadn't, the penny hadn't dropped, if I can use that uh, figure. But they, um, and I don't know whether God in some way withheld it from them until Peter could witness it. Because this is a major shift in the church that Peter went and preached to the Gentiles. And that door was opened and God let him see it uh, for a reason because he was a very important figure in the early church and God wanted to impress it on his mind that the door of salvation was now open to the Gentiles. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him and we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. So you've got the ministry of Christ, uh, the knowledge of that. You've got the crucifixion of Christ. And then in verse 40, the knowledge of the resurrection of Christ. All very succinct and important facts about the the gospel, which someone uh, needs to believe. But these people, they, uh, these Gentiles, they believed every word. <clears throat> In verse 40, him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Eyewitnesses, which Peter, um, he leans upon that in, in, his, uh, in chapter 1. And he commanded us to preach unto the people, that's the Jews, and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. That's the the living spiritually and the dead spiritually. God's going to judge both. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believe in him shall receive remission of sins. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. So that knowledge of the plan of redemption was key in these people believing it. Now under the Old Covenant, um, people believed very little about God, but that knowledge was expanding. And... Every believer in every age believes everything that God reveals. Think of uh, Rahab. How much did she know about God? Very little. She says that I know that yours is the God that dried up the Red Sea and how he plagued the Egyptians and how you crossed over on dry land and how you destroyed the two kings of the Amorites. That was knowledge about God. Your God's powerful, and he's, uh, we're in trouble. That's what she, and she believed all of that. That's all she, that's very little. When you think about the revelation that's in the Bible, 
all about like from the beginning. And this is prior to the written word of God. She would have had that, all those events were somehow, I don't know how they were. There must have been eyewitnesses that ran over and told everybody. These people are coming. Look out. Yikes. I mean, they would have just. And she didn't have that terror entering into her heart. But she said, wow, this must be the true God. And she believed it. Very little information. But she believed it, and she hid the spies. God doesn't even focus on the fact that she lied and sent them out another way. But she had faith, and she trusted in the knowledge of God that was revealed at the time. And as the knowledge of God expands, and it's expanded fully, if I can say that, the written word of God is complete, and we are given all the knowledge that is revealed about God. And there <clears throat> there it is. <clears throat> Look at maybe one more. Let's pick out one. Second Timothy two eight. So everything that's revealed about Christ Jesus we uh, we believe. Even the Things that are hard to swallow. The doctrine of eternal judgment and damnation of sinners is. Uh, if you understand what I'm saying, I wish it didn't. I wish it wasn't so, but it is, and I have no right to reject it based on my uh, feelings but rather uh, receiving the revelation about God himself. Second uh, Timothy 2.8. 2 Timothy 2.8. <clears throat> now throughout the pastoral epistles, of which 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus are labeled, uh, there is revelations about the knowledge of God, and this is just one of them. He reveals things about God and Christ. He says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So he interjects uh, things about the knowledge of God throughout these uh, epistles. And then over to 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He just is oozing the knowledge of God, and the believer receives it all. First, there's those seed things about the, the gospel of Christ, but then there's many other things. Um, the Lord said to his disciples, teaching them to obey all things that I've commanded you. And so it begins with this, the gospel, but then it goes way beyond that to all the things that God has revealed uh, to his people. And like your children, you teach them slowly. I mean, it takes years and years and years. You don't just download a whole Here's a calculus book. Go to it. You know, it's that, that's coming much later. And all things of life 
that uh, children learn. It, it takes time, and it takes dedication, and it takes patience. And God um, is like that with us. <clears throat> He's got lots to teach you, and it's going to take a lifetime. <laughs> All of the trials that you have experienced. Well, turn to uh, back to First Peter. <clears throat> so the knowledge of God extends into verse three, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given us. So the the theme of verse uh, 3 and 4 is God is giving to us um, through his divine power. God uh, accomplished it in Christ. Is everyone comfortable if I go to quarter after? Is that, is that all right? I don't know when did I get up. Did anyone? I'm not a clock watcher myself, so I know. I know that perhaps we're not either, but, you know, you just kind of ingrained in me after many years that people are getting an antsy of 12 o'clock. I'd like to set that aside, I mean, without going till 3, um, but somewhere. And I think you late. Uh, did I start late? Okay. But I just don't want to, yeah. I think we should push ourselves in terms of, um, yeah, exercising ourselves to be not that way. Because it's, yeah, you can kind of think, well, the supper's burning or whatever, and the roast is on, and i got to get to Grandma's house, and you know, all that kind of stuff. I think you just need to, that, not that you don't want to go to Grandma's house, but um, all, in, uh, all in its time. <clears throat> According as his divine power hath given unto us all things, I marvel at the God's uh, description of what he has given to us. It's not some things, but it's all things he's given unto us. Everything that we need. If you think, oh boy, I'm just lacking this and I'm lacking that. And, but it, if we are, it's not because it isn't available. It's just because we haven't applied ourselves. And that really is what he gets into in verse 5, but we won't get ahead of ourselves. But we need to know that it isn't because God has somehow held back, but rather he has given us all that we need, everything we need for life, to live a, um, a full, exciting, uh, enjoyable, whatever Everything we need for life and godliness, physical things, practical wisdom for, for uh, physical life, and everything we need for um, a full uh, spiritual life. And it's by his divine power. In, uh, we'll turn to Luke, Luke chapter 1, because without this, um, this is what every other religion would, you, you kind of, the gods are far away and you're just striving to do your best, and, but not so with, uh, 
with the God of Jacob, the God of Israel. He isn't. Uh, he hasn't done that. Luke chapter one and verse twenty-nine. <clears throat> and when she saw him, this is Mary. She sees an angel. <clears throat> He was troubled at his his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this could be. And the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then he says, The angel answered and said unto her, She said, How can I, how can this be, since I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Well, she would not have known. Uh, God revealed to her some things, but she would not have known all the implications of all of that. But the power of God, the divine power of God, entered into that woman and conceived in her womb. And forever, the because prior to that, God was a spirit. All the Godhead was a spirit. There was no... And then when they would take human form, it would be temporary. But God was going to take on a permanent and everlasting human being in the line of David. He was going to become a man. And that was um, through the divine power of God. And really the beginning of the working out of the redeeming of the human race. So the divine power manifest over to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. In verse 21. <clears throat> And when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also, being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Now it would seem to me by the reading of that that this was visible. And the people would have heard it. And part of the reason John came baptizing was so that uh, he could be revealed uh, to Israel. But it would seem that that was hid from many people's eyes. Again, um, when people say, "I, I need proof, no, you don't. You don't need. In the face of all proof, People were still unbelieving. 
It's you just need to believe. And the so-called proof that you're seeking will then be manifest. And it's not going to be uh, at your bidding. But we see the birth of Messiah, the anointing of Messiah. And then finally, uh, we'll turn to Colossians chapter 2. And the victory of Messiah. Colossians chapter 2. Break in in verse uh, Colossians two twelve two twelve says we're buried with him in baptism wherein ye also are risen with him through faith and the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So the, the power of God revealed in what looked to the people at the time, they thought this was the biggest defeat. Even his own disciples, they were on the road to Emmaus and they said, they met the, the resurrected Christ, they didn't know it, and they said, we thought that this man was the Messiah. So they had just lost all hope. And uh, at that time when it seemed like the greatest weakness, the greatest defeat, the greatest disappointment we thought that this was the Messiah God through his divine power revealed and accomplished salvation of sinners and that's where it all began right at the cross and out of that is given to us out of that power that uh, that accomplishment has been given to us all that we need uh, for life and godliness and next time we're going to get into the the promises of God search it out uh, the promises of God in the scripture there's many more that uh, we'll look at I'm thinking of them and reading of them as I go through my daily reading. But through those promises that um, we can partake of the divine nature. Not just know about, but we can be a partaker. We can live out the same life. And we're very thankful to God for that. Storm, you want to stand up and close for us.